welcome back. This is Pastor Mitch from the Refinery. And if this sounds different, it is because it is. Um, our previous way of recording the sermons and the messages that we shared here at the Refinery on Thursday nights uh, kind of has fallen short for us. It hasn't been working too well. So if you listen to this podcast and you're kind of keeping up with our sermon series, um, that is why it now sounds different. I'm actually coming in on Friday mornings now to re-record the message. And so hopefully you kind of get more of a fine-tuned one as well. Um, but I'm super excited for this. We are working on actually getting our previous message that was given by Trevor while I was out graduating. Um, he's going to record James chapter three for us that he spoke on. And I'm going to actually give you kind of his summation and kind of his points that he had because they're so good and they tie right into the lesson that we're going to share today from James uh, four, verse one through five, verse six. Um, and it doesn't, it sounds long, but it's not, it's, it's a very small group of verses that has a lot of impact. And so from James chapter three, Trevor put in a quote for me, um, which I thought was super awesome. And, and so he quoted John Christendom on James chapter three, and it says, let us guard our tongue, not that it should always be silent, but that it should speak at the proper time. And it's funny because he was nicknamed the golden tongue preacher. So it fits very well. And uh, Trevor really broke it down to this reality of what is it, what is gossip versus sharing information with someone? And he kind of gives, he gives us two, two check, checklist points and questions to really kind of run ourselves through before we approach somebody and give them some information. The first one is, are you sharing with someone who's trustworthy? Someone who you know won't just go behind your back and share the same stuff and then probably even talk about you right after. And if you can answer yes to that, then why are you going to this person? Are you trying to receive counsel and prayer over it and advice? Or are you just going so you can gossip about it and kind of make yourself feel better? So if you can't check both of these boxes, then don't share the information. It's likely gossip. And that was that was truly the heart of his message. And it was, it was very awesome. That's why I'm really pushing to get him to re-record it. And he's working on that so we can get that uploaded here as well. So we can have good continuity with our series through James. With that being said, James chapter 4 through 5 verse 6 is really the reality of our hearts. I mean, Scripture tells us from the front end already that um, from from the wellspring of our heart, our mouth speaks. So the tongue that is so powerful is really founded on where our hearts are. And so I chose kind of the title for this message, Divided Hearts, because inside this Jerusalem church and to the kind of the scattered uh, Messianic Jews that James was writing to and encouraging and kind of uh, uh, exhorting at this time, they were, they were having strife, and, and we're going to hit that here in the passage. But there's something I wanted to clear up that you've, if you've listened to some of the other sermons already. Um, I, I, have a, I have a saying where I say, I say embrace the struggle, especially when we're talking about the, pro, uh, the, the reality of sanctification. You know, and I call it those awkward teen years until we get to heaven. It's that reality that our flesh is going to struggle against our spirit, and our spirit's going to struggle against our flesh. And if we are truly His, if we are born again in Christ, the spirit will have victory. Um, but it's going to come with a lot of conviction. And so what I, what I don't mean when I'm saying embrace the struggle is I'm saying, don't go, well, I know I struggle with this sin or that sin. And now that I've admitted it, I can have peace in continuing to just do it. Right. Cause I'm struggling with it. That's not what I mean by embrace the struggle or the awkward teen years. What I mean is that when we're not saved, there's not really a conviction in us. There might be little inklings of, oh, like, that's probably a bad thing. I shouldn't do it. About real audacious things. But the small sins that we're just like, when we're unsaved, we don't really consider them anything. We just do it because it brings joy. It doesn't hurt anybody. But we know as Christians that every sin is a trespass against God. From little to small, we can't, we can't separate them. We can't hierarchy them. We have to understand that 
if we, like James says in, in previous chapters, that if you are a transgressor of one, you're a transgressor of the whole law. And so when I say embrace the struggle, I say find that conviction. And when you feel that conviction, work through it, struggle through it, find friends, find mentors, find discipleship, find a solid church, find an awesome young adults ministry like the refinery here that meets at Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. Because what you do is you form this family around you that can help you struggle and work out and figure out what to do and how to conquer that sin. And so that's where I want us to be. I never want to give leeway to give this okay to sin from a misquote. I want you to understand that that embrace the struggle is love the conviction, feel that conviction and work through it. Walk with Christ through what it means to find victory in that sin or to find victory in that season because Christ, when we submit to him, is able to do that for us. And so that's kind of my my caveat on the side about embracing the struggle, which again goes into tonight's or in today's message, last night's message. Um, but I'm opening up also with a quote from J.I. Packer, and it's from a book called Keeping the Ten Commandments. And I think it works so well with what we're talking about. And it goes this, it goes, suppose someone says, I try to keep the Ten Commandments seriously and live by them. And they swamp me. Every day I fail somewhere. What am I to do? The answer is, now that you know your own weaknesses and sinfulness, turn to God, to his son, Jesus Christ, for pardon and power. Christ will bring you into a new kind of life in which your heart's desire will be to go God's way and obedience will be burdensome no more. I love that last little part in there in almost the middle-ish part where it says, and to his son, Jesus Christ, for pardon and power. You see, when we embrace the struggle, we are embracing the forgiveness that Christ can give us when we repent of our sins. And then he also gives us the Holy Spirit, which gives us the power to work on those, to overcome them, to put things in our life and people in our lives that can help us conquer those sins in our lives. So we cannot on our own and are in our own power conquer sin and fight against it. Rather, it is Jesus via the Spirit that we can properly combat the flesh and enjoy the journey. So let's see how that kind of plays out in James chapter 4 in the beginning of chapter 5. So opening up in chapter 4, James tells us this. He says, what is the source of wars and fight, fights among you? Do they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be friends of the world becomes enemies of God. Or do you think it without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's James chapter four, verses one through six. And in the last chapter, we talked about how the people in the church were having a problem with their tongue. They were having a problem with the words. They were belittling. They were gossiping. They were going and derailing each other. Then James went directly at the teachers of the church. This is why we have to be so careful when we say we feel called to teach. This is why pastors are held to a higher standard. This is why when a pastor does fall, it makes such big news in our communities. This is why when we have politicians and they say things, their words carry extra weight because they are put in leadership. They are there to guide us and lead us. This is why we need to be, as, as believers in Christ, so careful to who we listen to for our spirituality, who, who we let lead us in our growth and our walk with Christ. 
And I always talk to talk about these TikTok influencers and there's good ones out there. There's good people on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram who are trying to push the word and share the gospel and really build people up. But they are outweighed by the immense number of people on social media who are doing it for their own fame and glory. And they are leading us astray with prosperity gospel. They're leading us astray with LGBTQ intense notions of, of different gospels, work-based gospels, social justice gospels, all these. So we have to be very careful, regardless if we believe it or not, your theology is a direct effect on your thoughts and tongues. So what we truly believe about God will affect the way that we act and end up how we speak and how we speak eternity to people. So verses one and two really lay out for us the inner battle because it if we misuse words and conversations, that is what was holding the church back. And that's where James is now giving them source of the reason why. If we go back into verses one through six, we see that they desired other people's stuff. They desired the worldly stuff. They desired their old ways and their old comforts of the fake religious people. Like we talked about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the different sects of Judaism that were out there that really just elevated materialism because the materialism could show them how great and how good they were in their praise to God. And so then they were angry when they couldn't get what they wanted because now that they were in Christ, they weren't going to find satisfaction in those things. And then because of that anger, they argued over the lack of fulfillment and that lack of fulfillment then ended up clouding their prayers and petitions towards God. See, verses 3 through 4 then shine a light on the reason for the lack of that fulfillment. They had horrible motives and desires when they prayed. They prayed for constantly all the materialistic things in the world. They were, they were praying for their own selfish desire so that they could feel more comfortable again. And they chose to stay surrounded by these earthly pleasures and the inclusion of the world and sin. And so God says it very clearly. He will take no part of it. It says God uh, resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, it's not wrong to pray for ourselves. It's wrong to pray for ourselves in a, in a deceitful, selfish, self-centered way. So then what, what, where do we go from there? And so James continues in 7 through 12. He says this. He says, therefore, I love this. He says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? That's James chapter 4, 7 through 12. And I love this because these Jewish believers were getting impacted. I mean, the Gentiles still didn't really like them because they were Jewish, so they were very hesitant. But then the other Jewish people who hadn't converted to Jesus Christ were then berating them for being dumb enough to submit to this false teacher, this, this fake Messiah. And so they were getting beat up from every corner. And so they were saved, they were part of the church, they were part of the body, but they were wavering and they had this division in their hearts, right? We were seeing it, they were still desiring the world, yet trying to have Christ at the same time. And so James, as we've quoted before in previous, in, uh, previous messages, James is very blunt. And, I, and for me, I like that because I think I'm that way too. Um, and so what he does is he just offers a gorgeous example of the true gospel again to them. He, that, he opens that up as the foundation. He says, submit to God. 
resist the devil, and he will flee. We don't chase after the world. We don't chase after our sinful nature. We don't chase after these things that are temporarily good for us. We submit ourselves to God and resist the devil. So if we submit to God, we no longer have joy in our sin, but rather we mourn it and we live in humility of the community with God and the body of Christ. So a daily submission and a gospel remembrance, like James gave them the gospel to remind them of what saved them, brings us daily overcoming of the sin that we struggle with. Verses 11 and 12 is the fact that we no longer use our tongues to belittle, but to build up and daily remind people of the gospel, starting with ourselves. We can speak truth instead of condemnation, and true love brings conviction. False speaking brings gossip and belittlement. So a lot of people in the world will misuse quotes like this from, from even in the Gospel of Matthew and now in James where it says, you know, do not judge there is but one judge and one lawgiver. It's this, I love this translation. I love if you go back to the Greek, that judging is that belittlement. It's that, it's that breaking down of somebody. We are told in scripture that we are to judge with right discernment. And so James isn't contradicting that. He's saying we don't belittle and break down each other in the church. You know, it kind of goes back to that previous thought where it says mourn, weep, weep over the things that you have. What he's saying to them is, not walk around like wounded birds or depressed or beat up or anxious the whole entire time. But what he's saying is those things that once brought you joy that are truly sin should make us mourn. And that we should truly find our joy and our peace and the things that God tells us are good, like good community, good fellowship, the right view on uh, marriage and relationships, the right view of community the laws and the commandments that he gives us. When we seek first the kingdom of God by being born again in Christ Jesus, then he will add all those things to us. So there's this beautiful reality of it's first Jesus and he will take care of our needs. Matthew chapter six talks about that exclusively. And then that ties directly back into the whole fact of we can't condemn, we can't belittle. I can't go talk about people like Trevor was talking about last week. I can't talk about people anymore in a negative connotation if it's only to make myself feel better and to break them down. But if I truly have a, if I've judged someone's lifestyle and there are, and there are sinful reasons in there, or there are uh, wrong motives out of discernment in my heart and love for them in the body of Christ, I need to go talk to them and, and bring this up. And if they see it as judging in a hurting way, that's unfortunate, but at least you've done it with the right heart check. And there, that's where James is getting to be, make sure that you have the correct view of judgment in your heart before you go and approach someone. So stop belittling people. Stop breaking them down. That was what was causing the arguments and the strife in the first place that we talked about in the first six verses. So a decision has to be made. A decision has to be made on, on that division inside our hearts that leads to division in the church and the body of Christ. And so in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 4, James says this. He says, Come now, you who say tomorrow... Or today we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Verse 13 opens up with that. Come now, come now, you who say. James went from almost like a regular kind of what we're having here, like a, a, a message given and, and kind of an exhortation to foot down, stomping on stage, Southern Baptist preacher going, come now, like you listen. Voice raised, hands flaring out, like you listen. For those of you who selfish, gainly plan out your years and, and just assume that you're in control of everything, that you have the power to go do this, that, or the other, it's all on you, and you have the will, and you have the way to do it, and it's all about you. Yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. He immediately takes those people who say, we're going to go do this for personal gain. We're going to go do that. We're going to go set up this. We're going to go this, that, or the other. He's saying, you don't even know what tomorrow brings. Rather, the choice should be made because your life here on earth is a vapor in the light of eternity that we will either spend with Christ or spend separated from him eternally. And so the reality is in that vapor, we have to understand that it's no longer us in control, but it is Christ. And that's why I love and said in verse 15, it says, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James is saying you need to remember that your life, your literal physical life here on earth is completely detailed and laid out and and bargained for in Christ. Like Christ will ultimately guide our steps. And if it is his will that we wake up, we will go do tomorrow. You see, wrong motives, gossip, bad teaching, all seemingly nominal things are actually direct realities of the heartbeat of our soul. So in verses 13 and 14, he shines light on the pride of the heart that they need to daily overcome. You see, in, in Jewish religion, um, in, in authentic and, and orthodox Judaism, a lot of it was, again, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, this elevated status of, of gold and fine linens and and materials. It was very materialistic, no matter what sect you were truly in. There's a few that really didn't want those, but the major ones were more materialistic than anything else. And he's saying your life is a vapor, so 15 and 16 show us the choice that will be made daily that will make the difference. James is reminding them that it's no longer a need to be arrogant or prideful, thinking that we're in control, but we belong to the Lord and he is sovereign and greater. Now, I don't want you to think that what we're saying in here is you can't make plans. You can't say, well, I really think I'm going to be a dentist and I want to go to school to be a dentist. And I want to do all these things. I'm not condemning being stewards of your time and neither is James. What James is saying is we need to make plans with open hands, knowing that as we set our steps, the Lord will guide us. We see that in the Old Testament. You know, man may plan his ways, but ultimately the Lord will guide them. And so he wants us to be faithful because if we're walking in the will of the Lord, we're going to be taking some steps, and there might be weird steps. We might off-step a little bit, but God will be right there to guide us back onto that track. And, and we need to be humble enough to say, these are my plans, and yet I'm open enough to let God change it immediately. What they were doing instead was, no, we're going to go do this for ourselves. We're going to go do that for ourselves. We're going to go gain this. We're going to go consume that. And it was that materialistic mentality again. And so James in this choice is saying, your life is a vapor. Choose now whom you're going to let dictate your life, yourself and your flesh, or Christ Jesus, who has the ability to say, you can live or you can die. And, and that's right from verse 15. If the Lord wills, we will live. And the reality is, is if we don't live that way, 
James says it straight out in 17. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. It is sin to know that we should plan and be good stewards of our time, but with open hands and God's will in our heart. And if we aren't doing that, it is sin. And so James ends with a warning. Uh, and I say he ends it for us. He starts chapter five, verse one through six. But for us, it's this kind of end of end of our message. And in verses one through six in chapter five, it says, come now, you rich people weep and wail and mourn over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures in this life. Look. They pay that you, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cry out. And the outcry of the harvest has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on this earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who do not resist you. James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. And I've there's there's thoughts out there where people are like, this is... You know, James condemning rich people. This is condemning the, the the lifestyle of richness and wealth and all these things and not living, you know, almost poorly and in shambles. And there's a lot more connected to that. But the reality of what verses one through three are actually capturing for us, and James would know it because he was Jesus's half brother. He would have known Jesus's teaching back from Matthew chapter six, nineteen through twenty one where we learned that Jesus tells us, Do not store for yourself treasures here on earth where moths can eat and rust can destroy, but rather store them in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor thief can destroy, steal, or take. So James is teaching us that if we simply are just in the materialistic world for our own selfish gain, that's a direct reality of where our hearts are. But if we are storing for ourselves treasure in heaven, that means we are following Christ and we're being good stewards of our plans, of our wealth, you see, the rich people's problem wasn't their wealth. It was their heart behind it. And so verses 4 and 5 drive it home. James is driving the point home that it is not the possessions of having rich or plenty that is a sin. Rather, it is the heart behind those objects. It's a warning that those who have plentiful or those who are working towards plenty need to check their heart daily with how they're A, acquiring it, if it's just or not, but then B, how they're living with it. You see, he gives us two examples that kind of back up this statement of the fact that it's not the wealth that is the sin. It, it is their heart motive behind their, their materialism. And it says, they were not treating people with respect or dignity. They withheld pay, wage from their workers. They were greedy and withheld these wages. And rather than helping society and the people, they kept it all for themselves. And so what was the result of this hoarding? What was the result of this um, very fleshly living and mentality that they had the result was and if most of us probably haven't done 4-h or farmed but they would again get this quote from the old testament with the sacrificial lambs is they would want the best lambs the ones that were nice and fat and meaty and without blemish no one wanted you know the gimpy one that's kind of limping around they're like that's the one that's going to atone for us no they wanted the one that was nice and fattened but it was being led to slaughter and so james again says for us you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What, is that, what does that reality mean for us? What he's saying is he's allowed that materialistic lifestyle and that earthly living and, and the, the comfort of that wealth 
that materialism, that rules in their heart, it made them complacent, it made them docile, and it was making them stagnant in the faith. And for some, it made them so stagnant to the point where they were still blind to the gospel and who Jesus was. But for the ones that were in the church, it was making them complacent. It was making them docile. And so we see James in chapter 4 through 5, verse 6, this division that was happening in this church, the division that was rooted in the heart, the power of the tongue that stems from the heart. It all comes from what are we going to do? And I think it, it beckons a call back to verses 7 through 12, where we read in verse 7 where it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You see, the truth and the reality behind this notion and behind the heart of this is, is these people had to give up chasing the materialism. They had to give up chasing the status quo of their old friends and their old religious leaders and be reminded of the fact that it is first submitting to God, not a system, not a way of life, not any of these things, but submitting to God the Creator through Christ Jesus who makes us born again, through the Messiah that they now clung to, they need to submit to him and resist the devil. That is the reality of what this chapter is giving us. You know, being proud and, and this, this pride of life was something that Jesus was also tested with. And so we see that Jesus was no stranger to it. So the fact that they were dealing with this was, it was a cultural struggle. It was a historical struggle. They were dealing with an old lifestyle that was haunting them, that they were surrounded by and being persecuted by. And so for them, they were having division in the church and arguing over things and, and having empty prayers heaped up to God over the fact that they were trying to find a balance, they were trying to find a peace, and they were trying to satisfy their fleshly desires. They had lost track of what Christ had truly done for them. And that's why James in verse 7 of chapter 4 just hits them with that gospel reality of, no, it is submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. 